Well, hello and welcome to today's Spotlight Podcast. I'm Lindsay and our guest on today's show is actor, writer, producer and director Andy Nyman. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Andy's book, The Golden Rules of Acting, today. So Andy, welcome to the show. So tell us the first bit about your background and how you got into sort of well, everything that you do. Um, well, I, I only really think of myself as an actor. Everything else is sort of a happy accidents that have happened, really. And I've always been obsessive about acting, really, and I always loved it when I was a kid and really went to drama, went to sixth form to do drama and then went to drama school and went to Guildhall and then I've been a professional actor, I mean, 30 years now. But I absolutely love it and I love the lifestyle of it and I love all the sort of challenges that go with it. I think that's one of the really important things. You just sort of have to embrace everything that goes with the lifestyle. And what inspired you to write the book? Well, I didn't really start it as writing a book. It was just something that I... I'd left an audition. It was probably here. And I sort of scribbled something down. I had a book with me. I love books of quotes and just little... I'm very inspired by other people's mm -hmm. journeys. and But I love easy reads as well. So I had some book that I'd either bought or had been given. It's cheesy as hell, but it was called go for the gold and it's just a book of little you know one page quotes yeah. and I just had destroyed that thing it was always in my bag and something had happened I'd left a, an audition and I, I, either someone had said something or I'd done something that I thought I'll never do that again write that down or never say what they just said I can't even remember what it was but I just wrote in the front of this book whatever this bullet point was for me to remember and literally as I did it I thought oh that felt really good and then a couple of days later, I thought, actually, I should just make a note of that. And then before I knew it, I had these pages that I used to just carry with me all the time. And part of that was they were all thoughts and ideas that I'd either accrued as I'd been working or I'd seen other people do really great things. Or I thought, oh, don't ever do that again. Or I made all these different notes. And I just loved having these pages with me because it made me feel like an actor, which is something to this day that I still think I can't believe that's what I do I, mm -hmm. I'm so excited that, that that's what I've managed to make work and um, and I'd always loved books on acting and aside from it's, it's changed actually since I don't think because of Golden Rules but since Golden Rules of Acting was published I think five years ago there weren't really any pragmatic here's how you live your life as an actor books. So well, mm -hmm. that sort of changed a little bit. Suddenly that mm -hmm. we see a bit more of them. But the only book that was ever available was a book by Clive Swift called The Job of Acting mm -hmm. that I had when I was about 12 or 13. And that was great because it wasn't about how to be an how how to act. It was about how to be an actor. Mm -hmm. And it talked about agents and theatres yeah. and you know and I really loved that because it felt really nuts and boltsy. Um but there'd never really been anything that was like the golden rules really that was sort of those little pocket books that just hopefully were inspiring but I wrote it it was purely for me mm -hmm. and then I happened to show it to Jeremy Dyson who I wrote and directed ghost stories with and he said oh you should show my literary agent I'm sure someone would want to publish that mm -hmm. and he was right it's so concise it yeah. really just nails it. Thank you. Because um, I find a lot of books on acting, they can be quite uh, sort of lengthy tomes sometimes, can't they? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, this podcast is only going to be listened to by actors or people in the business, so we can be honest, can't we? I think there's a lot of bullshit and a lot of wank that's spoken about <laughs> acting. I think that's fair. You know, and I think that, 
And part of that is sort of necessary because we're within the arts and we are artists and we have a life like that. And part of that is really nice to feel that it's this woolly thing that who knows which way the ebb and flow of life will take mm. you. And, and that's very comforting and really great. But I think mm. that, you you know, you also need to remember or we need to remember it's a job and how you're going to survive that job. And not in a grim way, just... You know, you want to be upbeat and practical and have the tools that help you just get on with it. As And then you can, all the other stuff is there. Mm-hmm. There's a, a wealth of that yeah. available. You find, um, I think what we notice a lot of is that when you first get into the industry, the business side of it, a lot of people don't know where to begin because mm-hmm. I just guess they don't really teach it in drama school. And then if you don't go to drama school, you also don't have much information when it comes to getting an agent or paying your taxes. That sort of practical stuff, yeah. no one tells you. That's really hard stuff, and I'm no expert in that. i got to tell you, I mean, especially the financial stuff. I mean, I think a lot of actors, myself included, are useless at that. Um, and, you know, that's... Again, there's a little bit of advice, <laughs> advice in the book, not a lot, uh, about tax. You know, one of the things that I know an agent will do for you is split any money that you earn so you can mm-hmm. have a separate account for tax mm-hmm. so that when your tax bill comes, you're not having to think, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, that little piece of advice alone was like, oh, when I found that out, that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that unless you're a superstar, which... of us are not. So much of whether you work or not is down to your attitude, not even your talent. Mm -hmm. It's honestly down to what you like to work with, what people say about you, what people think about you, and how you conduct yourself. And it's just a given. If you're going into audition, if a casting agent or a theatre has called you in or your agent has got you in and you're auditioning, it's a given that you can do the job, that you're good enough to do the job. That's... You know, if you were a a plumber, it's a given that you can make those pipes go together so you can flush the toilet. I mean, you know, that's why you're here, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Everything else is about what you're like. Um, And I think people, it's hard to remember that at times because, uh, because, you know, the industry is so tricky as to what it is that makes you get a job or not that you can cling on to all the wrong things. and, And actually, the thing that you are most in control of is what sort of person you are. Um, and I, but I think that's really heartening. I think there is great comfort in that because I remember Sean Holmes, who was the uh, who runs the Lyric Hammersmith, who was um, he directed Ghost Stories with the play with me and Jeremy Dyson. And when we were first casting the play, one of the things he said to us was, "If you're faced with a choice between an absolutely amazing actor who you've heard is tricky to work with." And an actor who's not quite as good, but is really easygoing and really nice to work with, that's the person you should employ. Mm-hmm. Because you've got four weeks to get this right, in inverted commas, and you can't be wasting time. And it's amazing how simple that is, you know. Um, and, and as a director as well, when I've directed, you know, we've been in a position where there was an actor who came in who was just brilliant. And one of the people in the room said, I'm sure I've heard he's tricky. Mm. Well, they were wrong. It wasn't him. It was someone else. But it yeah. almost lost him the job. Wow. We, we spent it was only because we, we spent about three days making phone calls to mm-hmm. find out if it was or wasn't them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. 
Um, but they almost lost the job because you thought, oof, okay, well, maybe we should go to the other person. Yeah, reputation is everything. It's everything. And it's a very old-fashioned thing to remember that Mm -hmm. because you sort of think you live in a bubble and you're, you know, but you don't, you know, especially this business is so small. Yeah, yeah. So small. And would you say there's something about um, how you can receive feedback? So if it is perhaps seen as negative feedback, even when it's framed in a positive way, um, actors perhaps can be a bit sensitive. Is there a way they can take that on board and and go forward without getting too upset? It's really hard, isn't it? Um, I just think you have to be sensible. And you have to, you know, it's funny, I've started putting together notes for a second book. I don't even know if I'll do it. But one of the first things I wanted to write in there is that that myth that exciting myth of the Hellraiser. I hate it so much. I think it's so destructive to think that's what makes you an exciting, dynamic actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you are getting feedback, if you've had a couple of bits of feedback where you're trying to get to the bottom of why something hasn't worked or why you consistently haven't got jobs when you think you've done a good job and you ask your agent and you're given some feedback, you need to listen to it. Um, there's an old saying that I heard years ago that's a, it's crazy but it's an old cowboy saying mm-hmm. that is if five people call a horse a horse you better saddle up and ride <laughs> and it really made me laugh and I sort of thought there's something really interesting in that and if you keep get, getting feedback on the same thing on the, on the film of ghost stories um, we there was a point where we were we were in a sort of midway through the post-production and we showed the edit that we had and all five of the producers who were giving us notes independently gave us the same note and whether you agree with that note or not you've got to look at it and think well everybody but us thinks that Mm -hmm. so we at least have to try what they're saying and see Mm -hmm. if it makes a difference and that's the same with it's hard because we are you're totally reliant on your ego and by ego I don't mean like a big on our internal process and what we think of ourselves mm-hmm. in the arts it's a really hard thing and as an actor and you know there's no no matter how successful or not you are it is a bumpy road and it's a bumpy road phoning your agent did we get anything did we hear anything or you got it you didn't get it we no, oh, i'm sorry it's gone somewhere else you got mm-hmm. it great the money's not what we thought it was or they're going to change the weeks they're not sure yet you know it's con- it's a constant thing that you're having to self-monitor And so you become utterly self-reliant. And if you've got any sense, you harden up a bit and you become a bit Teflon coated because you need to take the knocks. But going back to what you said, you know, if you are thinking this is not something's going wrong here, Mm -hmm. or even if you're not thinking that and your agent is saying or your mates are saying, mate, I don't know why you're doing that in rehearsals because it's really making everyone else uncomfortable. Well, of course, the reaction is to go, well, to fly off the handle but mm-hmm. actually if you stop and think about it a little bit and think well, maybe I should deal with that so going then into auditions what key pointers would you give to someone now or which yourself maybe 30 years ago when yeah. it comes to auditioning I'm still auditioning it's not <laughs> like I don't audition you know I mean I'm auditioning you know I had a couple of auditions last week and what makes me laugh is they're called meetings now yeah you know like it's like <laughs> that softens meets. the blow yeah like it's not oh right <laughs> Well, I think the biggest thing is to remind yourself that they want to give you the job. Mm -hmm. And that is 
absolutely true. That's not reframing. That's not putting a clever spin on it. Those directors, that casting agent, whoever is the other side of that door that you're about to go into, they are desperate to give you the job. They're desperate for you to be right for it. So, And that's the same whether it's a commercial, whether it's a play, whether it's no matter what the scale of the mm -hmm. job is. And that's a really, really big thing to remember because it's so easy to think you're on trial or that this is a, an exam you're going in for. That's the first big thing. The other big thing is to remind yourself that you love acting and that's you're just about to give a performance to a really small audience. That's all an audition is. Mm -hmm. You're just going in there to interpret what they've sent you or... And to make the most of that and to cherish that, to see it as an opportunity to enjoy it. And one other thing that, that I think is a really big psychological trick that's essential and sounds crazy, but I can... If you just take one thing away from either the book or from this, is that you should s change the language you use to describe how you feel. And you should get rid of saying, I'm nervous and replace it with excited. Mm -hmm. Because psychologically and internally, what's happening in both of nervous and excited is fundamentally the same thing. Your adrenaline's going, your heart rate's up, your palms are a bit sweaty. It's only about how you're dealing with the information. And if you say, oh, it's, it's our first run through tomorrow, I'm really nervous, it's purely negative. Mm -hmm. If it's, it's our first run through tomorrow, I'm really excited, it's a completely different thing, you know, mm -hmm. and that's the same with auditions. It's the same with opening night. It's the same with anything that you're faced with. Changing nervous to excited is honestly, it's transformative. And it's and again, that's not me saying that to preach. That's that's something that I have done that happened out of it was the first play. I hadn't done a play for 10 years and I was doing a play at the tricycle and it was the dress rehearsal. And I was so nervous. And it just got in the way. Mm hmm. And I just thought, how I can't, that's not useful at all. And mm. it was only the next day I thought, I should think I'm excited, not no. And it just lifted everything. Yeah. Um, and now I don't really, I never, I mean, it's been about, it must be 10 years or so really since I've started doing that. And it's really made a big difference. I never really think I'm really nervous for that. And if I do, I try and get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you touch on commercials as well in the yeah. book um, and the benefits of doing a commercial, which I think a lot of actors potentially might shy away from um, because they're thinking of, of their work as being everything needs to be a project that they're really passionate about. Yeah. But you got to pay the bills. They're amazing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a balance because everyone wants to be, you know, I grew up and I still, you know, the, the people I idolised when I was growing up were De Niro and Pacino and, you know, that generation mm -hmm. of actors. That's what I asp still aspire to to do and to be like that's never changed but you know a Weetabix advert paid for my wedding there you go <laughs> you know and a decent advert there's you know there's endless adverts that you admire or mm -hmm. love or look at and think god look at them there and they did I think you know there's no honour in being a starving artist no if you're choosing to do that now Different because it's also very easy within the. Oh, I don't go in for commercials. It's not what I want to do. You know, there's great, there's real safety in that as well. Because aside from, you know, you you sort of you've taken a choice to sort of you 
to believe you're better than that. I don't mean that as a judgment. I mean, mm. that's the decision you've made that, no, 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 that's the standard I've set for myself. But within that, you know, commercials are really scary, commercial castings. You know, having said, you can get rid of nervous and excited. You know, you never know what you're throwing yourself into. Mm -hmm. And it takes great courage to go and do that. And also great courage because most actors really don't want to do them. You know, it's different when you get one. I mean, I probably did a dozen of them in my time. Mm -hmm. um, and I always really enjoyed them. And I also think work is work is work. And there's always something brilliant to learn. I learned loads of in front of camera experience yeah. on commercials and in commercial castings. I think there's always... So I would urge people that doing an advert, unless it's some advert that makes you super, super famous, which are so rare, mm -hmm. it's not like it's going to get in the way of work. I think there's loads of uses, and not just financial. I think that they really force you to be very pragmatic when you're on the set for a day. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you've just got to deliver. Yeah. You've got to do it now uh, because we've got 40 setups that we have to do before seven o'clock. So, okay, let's do one more. You know, I think it's, I think they're great. Yeah, it's a great skill to be able to great skill first time around. Yeah. Um, and you also get to get in the room and you get to meet people in the industry and network, or, yeah. you know, find out who casts everything. It's always really useful. And then one of the top tips you said um, in your book is about making a note after every meeting, which mm. I think a lot of people might forget to do yeah. when they go in for castings regularly. It's never been easier than it is now to do that. That was actually my very first job. I did a play at the um, Watford Palace and it was an actor who was in it. And I was like a machine when I left Guildhall. I knew, I didn't personally know them, but I knew all the casting agents, what they did what they were casting, who was what, what their assistants were. You just used to pour over contacts. And and he said, you should write down everyone you audition for. Just make a little note. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I don't need to do that because I remember it. Well, of course, after three years, you've just forgotten. Well, now in your iPhone or on your computer or, you know, whatever you've got, just in your address book, you just need to make a note. Just make a note. The name of the person, mm -hmm. casting agent, the date you saw them and what you thought of them as well as you know because six years later when you're going up for something and you open it up and think oh my god yeah I saw her for that and she was absolutely lovely yeah. or oh god I saw him for that and he was so rude mm -hmm. it was horrible then at least you're forearmed you know and you can think all right well I just and also people like to feel remembered. Yeah. I don't mean in a schmoozy networky way, but it's nice if someone says to you, we met 12 years ago for so-and-so. I really loved that script. And I thought, you, you know, if that was a casting agent to you as an actor mm. saying, you came in, you did a reading for me 15 years ago, I've never forgotten it. Yeah. You think, wow. Because the other thing to remember is you not getting the job isn't because you've done a bad job. There's a million reasons as to why you don't get the job. Um, and you not being good enough is so often, I would say 99.9% .9 of the time, not why you didn't get the job. There's a million other factors. It doesn't come up normally. When I speak to casting directors, um, having done a lot of podcasts and interviews with casting directors, they say to us, like, it's, not, it's never about that. No. No, it isn't. It's about, you know, how well, what the director's got in his head mm -hmm. for what the actor's going to be like. Um how suitable that actor is with everyone else that's in the cast. Um, often it can also be 
how viable they are in terms of what the producers want. You know, because as an actor, you think it's just about the director going, yes, we'll have him. It isn't at all. You know, you then have to go, you know, I've just been in a situation, I've just got a job mm -hmm. that took a week after the director said they want you of waiting for the film company to say, yeah, yeah, we give him clearance. Yeah. You know, you and it could quite easily have been, uh, well, let's offer it to someone else first because we think they're of more value to us. I mean, some, there's so many factors that you're unaware of as an actor. Um, so, yeah, the, the one it won't be most of the time is, no, you were rubbish. Yeah, it's not, not coming into it. Um, and then an actor's relationship with their agent, for example, I think that's another thing you... Um, touch upon in the book how can they sort of nurture it so that they know that their agent is doing the best for them without also kind of <laughs> nagging them perhaps <laughs> oh it's so hard it, it's really really hard isn't it because I think the first thing you have to do is I never understand that thing when actors get a bit bolshy with other actors and they're like they you don't you forget your agent works for you mm. you know and people you know if they're not yeah you just leave them and all that I think it's madness, you know. I think the reality is it's a partnership, you know. You want I, I've been doing it for 30 years. I've had two agents. And one of those agents I was with for the first 13 years and the other one since then. Mm -hmm. And we've... You have to talk to your agent about what sort of work you want is the first thing, balanced with the reality of that's great we're really excited you want to play leads in films that's not going to happen mm. so how are you going to live in between then mm -hmm. if that's what you want to do you should start doing this that or the other you know mm -hmm. and how are you going to make that happen um and i think that you know because actors sort of imagine their agents magically know what you want mm -hmm. but you have to talk to them and be sensible and realise it is a two-way street and realise, for the most part, again, there's always going to be agents that it doesn't really work out. The agent's working really, really hard for mm -hmm. you. And, try, you know, they'll have sent you up for loads of stuff that you've got. The casting agent don't want to see you for it or mm -hmm. you're not getting seen for it or the money's fallen away on that project and it's not happening now. And it's really easy when you're, the phone's not ringing for you mm -hmm. to think, Jesus, they are so lazy, I'm going to change. Yeah. But again... That's probably not the case. They're probably, you know, when you phone up and have a moan, they think, we are trying so hard, no one wants to see you. Yeah. Get new photos, lose some weight, get your teeth done, make an effort. Who knows what? Who knows yeah. what? But again, that's the other thing, is all of those things I've just said are sort of negative spins on what we look like. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, not always the case. It's just there are times when no one can put a finger on why it's not working. So you just grasp at anything, you know, and sometimes it's just the ebb and flow of a long career, mm -hmm. which is, you know, what I think you have to think of it as, you know, that you do, this is a career. So then moving on to onset experience as yes. well. So we're talking about taking notes from directors and then what have you learned from your time on set with directors and, and how it would have informed your own style from the notes and things you've learned in, in your time? I I love getting notes. I always have. I think that... I always go in with a strong idea of what the character is anyway. I think it's really important because it gives the director something to direct and it also gives you something exciting to play. Um, and I think that, again, time is pretty much always of the essence. 
And when a director gives you a note, you've, you've usually got two jobs. The first thing is if they're not a great communicator, which a lot of directors aren't, you have to try and unpick what it is they actually want from their note and then try that and give that. Um, when, you know, on film and telly, when they're in the edit, really they, you know, it's great to see as many different versions as you can. Always try something new because it's really, really useful when they're in there to have options of which little bit they're going to use. The one thing that really isn't of use is massive conversations about the notes you've been given. I mean, God, that drives me mad in plays when you're given notes in a note session and it's just, it's always the same actor who's going to talk for 20 minutes about why he's made a choice and you just, just try the note. Mm -hmm. Just try it. <laughs> or say, yes, brilliant, thank you, and then yeah. don't try it. Yeah. But don't wait, you know, don't waste the time. Um, and I've always thought as well, that, especially with film and telly, that the notes, because rehearsal is not sort of non-existent, you end up always going on your first instinct. Now, most of that is that's why you've got the job, is your instinct to go in and that's what's nailed it. But equally, it's so exciting to just, especially if a note feels uncomfortable or weird to you, to just try it because you never know what's going to come out. Mm -hmm. So I always think it's, I, I always welcome it and try it. I, th it's, I, I honestly cannot think of a note that I haven't taken and tried doesn't mean they all work or they're good but mm. I just think that's part of what you're there for and then tips for being on set which may seem potentially obvious but uh sort of being nice to the production team is something <laughs> that you say in there and being nice to the hair and makeup team who are getting there at four in the morning way yeah. before the actors do yeah I mean again there's that I am amazed by how many actors don't hang their costumes up at the end of a day mm -hmm. just sort of get changed because they can't wait to get out and just throw it down I think some someone is going to costume are going to have to come round, pick that up, hang it up. I mean, take a minute and a half and do it. Mm -hmm. You know, again, it's just about trying to conduct yourself in a way that is considerate, as well as it's also self protecting as well. Because who doesn't want to be nice to work with? I'd be mortified if I thought, God knows, you'd probably get comments now saying I did work with him; it was a nightmare. <laughs> but you know, if I went away from a day or a job. And they're like, no, I've worked with him. He's a nightmare or he's selfish or he's rude. Mm. And that's not to say you should be a kiss ass and you shouldn't stand up for what you think is right. But equally, you just, there's no reason not to be decent. Mm. And there's no reason not to be decent and grateful to production if they're arranging your pickup or your car's late or whatever. I don't say that in a grand way. I mean, you know, mm. they'll get you a car because actors are a bit rubbish at getting there on time. <laughs> so, you know, they just do that, you know, when you're filming or what have you. And again, it, it's amazing to me how how often you see actors kind of take it for granted or abuse that. Or So I think it's just always important, you know, in the makeup room not to gossip because, my God... A, it's tempting, and B, mm -hmm. it's amazing how everything just spreads yeah. very quickly. So, yeah. Scary to think that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on to the next bit then. So the reality of a jobbing actor and the importance of sort of doing non-acting jobs while resting. Um, you mentioned in the book about the importance of that, and then you've had some unusual resting jobs yourself as well, because everyone's, everyone's got to pay the bills. Yeah. They can't all be working creatively all the time. So, Well, look, the other thing is, let's not forget, 
we're imagining when you're acting, it pays enough that you are able to pay your mm-hmm. bills. Mm-hmm. Again, one of the realities is acting does not pay great. You know, it can do, but it can also be, you know, if you're doing fringe theatre or you're doing rep and, you know, and again, that's easy if you're in your 20s and you're not married or you don't have kids or whatever. But if you're doing rep and it's 350, 400 quid a week and you're in your 50s and you've got a mortgage and you've got kids, that's, you know, there's not a lot to to live on Mm -hmm. there. So I think acting for the most part is always going to be a bit of a stretch that's one of the sacrifices that goes hand in hand with what a brilliant amazing thing it is to do it so yeah I mean I've done ridiculous and extraordinary other jobs from you know delivering and driving and vans and lorries through to kids parties and magic and I think one of the things I think it's really important and really brilliant to do other work and one of the reasons well there's a couple of reasons the first is obviously it gives you some money and with that money comes some freedom um, I'm not even talking about earning a lot of money. I'm talking about if you can pay your rent on the money on the second job you've got, it means that you know the pressure is off, and you you know you can take the time and wait for auditions to come in. But I also think you just learn about life a bit more because one of the problems is if you're just mixing with actors and all your conversations are about oh so and so just got that audition. I'm gonna, have you heard about Duddleder? Have you seen Duddleder? That's all your mm. life is about, is actors and acting. And I think that it just ends up being really suffocating and it's really important that you experience some life and experience other work because also that makes you grateful when you are acting and mm-hmm. think, God, this is brilliant. doesn't matter I'm not getting paid. I love it. Um, so I think it's essential to do second jobs. You know, mm-hmm. the trick, the big trick, is trying to find a second job that means you can still emotionally hold yourself together mm. and still, you know, feel dignified. I never understand. To me, there's no dignity in not working and being able to say, no, I'm, I'm an actor. It's fine. That's, you know, I think there's, you know, there's huge dignity in doing a job you hate doing. But I think, well, at least I'm paying my rent and mm. hopefully I'll get an audition in the next week mm-hmm. or so. You know, because it's part of the struggle. It is a sacrifice. It's always a sacrifice. And again, I don't mean that in a doom and gloom way. I love that. I love that part of it is it doesn't come easy. Mm-hmm. Um, because for a lot of people, they can't hack it. It's not It's not a comfortable job for a lot of people. So I think if you are doing it and surviving in whatever form that is, you should take massive pride. Massive pride in the fact that you're doing a job you don't really enjoy. But mm-hmm. I'm doing it because the thing that I love more than anything, I'm making the sacrifice so I can do that. That's really noble. Mm-hmm. And um, it's easy to forget that when you're working in a cafe or you're doing box office work and box office work or you're ushering and you're, you know, 12 feet from the actors who are doing it and you're standing there thinking, she's bloody awful, I could be that, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're that close to it, it's tangible. So I, I think that, you know, we need to take great pride um, in in what that struggle is. It means you don't always focus all your energy on acting as well because it'd be quite unhealthy to just be focusing on one thing entirely. It'd be quite tough. It is, it is. But it's also, you know, as I said, I've been doing it 30 years and I'm still obsessed with it. I absolutely adore it, you know. And the, So, of course, there is always that tunnel vision of thinking. I mean, I still get 10 in the morning, the little pilot light goes on, and I think, oh, my agent's in now. 
<laughs> and at half five, I think, oh, I didn't hear from them. You know, and that's after all these years. I yeah. still feel like that, and hopefully I'll feel like that for another 30 years, you know. It's wonderful. Mm. So let's finish with a 60-second quick-fire round. Okay. It's exciting. Yes, very exciting. Okay. So are you ready? Never more so. Okay. First question. Dream role. <sighs> oh, my God. Wow, this is 60 seconds. I'm, I'm going to take... <laughs> We're going to edit it take, 60 seconds. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really... I, actually, I did one of my dream roles a couple of years ago in Assassins, Charles Guiteau. So I don't really have a Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof. There, there we go. go. Actor you admire most? I think it's still got to be De Niro, really. I, I mean, you know... He was a god to me mm -hmm. when I was growing up. Yeah. Stage or screen? Love them both. Really love them both. Can't choose maybe film. Yeah. Favourite film? Wow. Apart from ghost stories. Apart from ghost oh, stories. Out in August cinemas, April 13th. April 13th. Thanks very much for that. <laughs> um, Favourite film? I don't know. I, Once Upon a Time in the West. Goodbye Girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Favourite play? Oh, I don't know. Death of a Salesman, maybe? Bit of a boring answer. Really mm -hmm. amazing. Curveball. Cats or dogs? Cats. Oh, no. Oh. Really? I mean, I've gone from not liking animals at all to being a bit obsessed with our cat. But I also really do like dogs. I don't know. Never had a dog. It's very divisive. Mm. Split the audience there. Yes, both. But we've only got a cat at the moment, so. Show you wish you'd been in. Bloody hell, these are hard <laughs> questions. Maybe we'll have to reframe them for the next one. I don't know. Um, I really don't know. I wanted to be in Hangmen, and then I saw that at the Royal Court and mm. was blown away, and then ended up being in it in town in the West End, which wow. was amazing. Wow. So that was the last show that I saw that I thought, oh. But again, I, sorry to go back to what we were talking about earlier. That's something I really, really try not to do. I really try to kill the jealousy thing. I really try That's to good. not think, oh, oh, I wish I'd have been in that. Yeah. Because it just ends up, just ends up killing you. So, yeah. But I can't think of one really at the moment that I'd think, oh, I wish I was in that. Um, so that's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you'd like to find out more about Andy's book, it's available in all good bookstores. It's called The Golden Rules of Acting. Uh, and his film Ghost Stories is out April 13th. Be sure to check it out. You can follow Andy on Twitter as well, at Andy Nyman. And for more advice and news from us, our Twitter is at Spotlight UK.